0: everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inside Look podcast. And today we have special guests, Matthew Mayer joining us. Thank you so much for coming on. Trent,
1: what is up, my brother? Appreciate the opportunity yeah. here to dialogue and have a nice conversation centered around hope.
0: Yeah, definitely. So good to have you. So as we bring a new guest, I like to have them like share a little bit about themselves, you know, start um, sharing about their story and their testimony, and then we can jump right in.
1: Yeah, I'll try to be precise. That's a weighted question. Anytime somebody asks me about my testimony, my story, um, Trent, you're familiar with it because I had the honor to speak at a leadership camp in Maryland in 2017, as you reminded me. So very briefly, I am a former professional soccer player, was raised in a strong Christian household, went to Temple University on a full scholarship. I would summarize that period of my life as having one foot in the word of God, Mm -hmm. knowing better, but not doing better because I had the other foot in the world. And that is a divided stance. Mm -hmm. I straddled the proverbial fence, eventually made a very bad reckless decision on March 7th, 2009, six days after I had torn my ACL and my meniscus in my right knee the last professional soccer game I would ever participate in Mm -hmm. that particular week, kind of feeling discouraged, not sure where my future was going to land in light of this career ending injury, made a bad decision to have some alcoholic beverages on a Friday night, got into my vehicle late into that night, ended up crashing rear ending another vehicle, which resulted in the at fault drunk driving fatality of a man named Hort cap 55-year-old man. Of course, my entire world explodes, but not to mention, and even the, the worst part was somebody else's world imploded. Mm-hmm. A family that had to deal with tragedy and all at my hands, the expense of my hands. So I had to navigate legal consequences. I was looking at mm-hmm. up to 10 to 30 years in state prison. Now, mind you, I'm from like the all American family, you know, this was completely unexpected. My father's a law enforcement official, retired chief of police, my mother's a stay at home mom. So this shocked everybody's world and navigating the legal consequences, looking at 10 to 30 years in prison, that's a world that I would have never imagined entertaining in a billion years, other than watching it on a big screen, a movie or a sitcom or, you know, a Netflix prison documentary, but Mm -hmm. to know that that was going to be my world was really surreal. But I tell you the truth, Trent, and I'll summarize this very quickly. I wasn't really concerned about prison at that particular time. I wasn't concerned about what the judge would render down as his decision. My main concern was seeking forgiveness from this family. And I knew that I had the opportunity on my sentencing day, which was January 7th, 2010, to seek that forgiveness. And that's where my heart was. And on January 7th, 2010, and I would love for anybody that's watching this podcast eventually to go on my website and watch the video because the video is able to express what my words can't do. And the Mm -hmm. the website's truthovertrend.com. And there's a video there where you're going to see this scene. I get to speak my heart to this family. And then Mr. Hortcap's son, his name's Noon, he stands up and he begins to yell at me at the top of his lungs. He begins to enraged tell me about how he heard about his father dying and basically looked at me as the object that caused his family pain and said you destroyed my world and then with no exaggeration he had this awkward composure come over him he stopped i mean he was animated and he was he was angry and then he stopped and then he said but i forgive you my brother and he came walking Mm, over to me and him and i right there in the courtroom embraced, we hugged, and I felt like all of that guilt and all of that weight and all of that shame literally melted off my back. So then I stood before the judge and he would render down a five and a half year prison sentence. But I tell you the truth, I had already been set free in that courtroom. So physical incarceration really didn't mean anything at that point. I I literally was set free before I even spent a second behind a prison wall. And then there's a billion stories, as you know, of what the Lord did in redemptive fashion while I was in prison for the next 55 months. So that's like a very thin version of a very thick testimony by God's grace alone.
0: Yeah, that's good. And I remember as I was bringing it up before we started this about the FCA camp where you spoke at and your book, Imprisoned by peace. Actually have it right wow. here. That and I got the book and I was reading through it and it it really like spoke a lot to me. How you're talking about how you were in prison and going through that and your story through that and the story where you were just saying, but also I'm a guy that is kinda imprisoned like emotionally and kinda like inner battles like going through like spiritually as well. So Sure. That's what really hit me hard was kind of applying that like in my spiritual life, in my emotional life. So that like really um, got a lot, you know, that book in essence
1: is a diary from my time in prison. Each of the chapters kind of deals with what I called a view apart, right? While most Mm -hmm. people would have saw that environment one way, we're all locked up physically. many of which locked up emotionally, also spiritually. And I'm sitting at this table every single day and I knew that I couldn't get out. Right. So Mm -hmm. fighting to get out really was counterproductive. I would eventually have my day of Liberty. So in the meantime, why not take advantage of the time? So I began to write about what I saw. So while people were fighting the gate, which would slam shut and they wanted to get out, I was content with where I was. So I said, wow, Here I am, good with where I'm at. I'm technically free. And then I knew the Bible, right? So the Bible says there's this peace that God gives us in exchange for our anxiety. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard. That word is a soldier being deployed to guard something. So God's like, my, my peace will guard your heart and your mind. And that is the premise of that book that you just held up. Pretty cool that you got yeah. it. Um, and that is the intention behind the title to be imprisoned by peace in the midst of perhaps circumstances that don't look so good. So um, pretty honored really to have the opportunity to talk about hope and, and joy and peace, considering the world that we live in today, Trent. I mean, we both would agree what's happening in our culture. I don't think there's been a time where we've been so divided. And technology, as you're redeeming it, I believe is responsible for the division, right? Because you can scroll through Mm -hmm. social media and you can find such polar opposite perspectives. And without critically thinking, really this is what I'm really Mm -hmm. disappointed in a lot of people, without critically thinking, doing their own research, not buying the narrative of the mainstream media, looking Mm -hmm. beneath that, coming to a conclusion, biblically speaking, that's what we call a biblical worldview, and then assessing the world we live in. So um, our goal, as you shared with me earlier, is to distribute hope. So hopefully there's ears listening to this podcast that sense there's a hope out there and you can have that hope in the midst of hopelessness.
0: Yeah, that's good. And as I was reading it, as like between like the um, sentencing and when you were going to prison, like that gap, like, um, how do I, how do I put this in the words? Um, you were kind of going through like your strength you got your life back together, strong relationship with God. And so right. you were being changed in your faith. you were on fire for God, like it's said in the book. So what was it like being like changing your relationship with Jesus and then also still having to pay the consequences? So what, what, Great was that question. Feel, what was that feeling like still having to go do that?
1: Great question. You know, I always look at my life in snapshots or even seasons. And one of the seasons that was really awkward to navigate was what I call no man's land. In between the tragedy, March seventh, two 2009, which we're coming up on, right. and January seventh, two 2010, which was my sentencing day. 10 months to the day existed where those consequences were over my head. And like I said earlier, and I really summarize it as quickly as I could, it was a roller coaster, knowing that my fate was sealed, not knowing how this family was going to respond to me, knowing that I had to do the next right thing according to my faith. Now, up to that point, everything else was my identity trend, my success. I was a pro soccer player, I was a bachelor, I was apparently um, you know successful in that particular right. So I was really feeling my own hype. My possessions were my identity, my resume. And in a moment, all of that could be stripped away. But by God's grace alone, I'm thankful that I had a family, my parents specifically, who trained up their children in the way they should go. The Bible says when they get older, they will not depart from it. So all of these false identities were stripped of me. I fell back on this faith foundation that I knew intellectually, as a teenager, as a young adult, and it sunk into my heart. But knowing that doesn't make all the consequences erase, right? People think because you give your life to the Lord, that you're going to have an easy path. And it's like, no, that's not how that works. You'll have peace as you go through the hard path. So when I got to sentencing day, and as I talk about that scene of forgiveness, that set me free. So the next season of my life was January 7, 2010, the day I say I was physically incarcerated, but spiritually liberated. And for the next 55 months, I call it an incubator spiritually where the Lord was doing a work of spiritual development in my heart. All the things I may have neglected to that point, all the Bible verses that I knew in my brain that I memorized, I went to a Christian school, all of the um, you know, Christian responsibilities that I shirked or, or, or put off, all of it came crashing down and became reality. So every day in prison, I'd wake up at 5 a.m. I'd get on my knees because the lights would shine on at 6 a.m. and there was nowhere to go. You were around all types of people, all types of backgrounds, and nobody wants to be there. So let's just put that into the right perspective. There was a lot of chaos and violence and vulgarity and ignorance, and there's a lot of gangs and there's a lot of division. And I recognized early enough to say, if I'm going to wait to start my day with all of that, it would devour me. So I got alone at five in the morning at a table, I cracked my Bible and it was in that quiet place before the chaos of my day, picked up pace that I was able to have the peace of God. And each day became a day stacked on the last of spiritual momentum and recognizing God had me there for a divine purpose. And I wanted to share Jesus. And that became my motivation every day shared Jesus and the gospel with people who were lost. I mean, in a word, completely and utterly lost. And I have testimony after testimony, um, similar to like the Apostle Paul, who was locked up for righteous sake. I wasn't locked up for righteousness sake, but in there, I became um, an ambassador for righteousness sake. So same exact mission and trying to minister to as many people as possible, whether it was corrections officers or My fellow inmates. So, um, interesting season to be in, knowing that I was locked up consequentially because of a decision I made, while at the same time knowing the Bible says that when you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us from our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, what I did spiritually, God has separated from me. That's what the cross is all about. The consequences of what I did, Jesus Christ paid for. But the physical consequences or the legal consequences of what I did, they still echo in my my today, Trent. Like Mm -hmm. just recently, because I publicly preach on some hard stuff, I put myself out there. You better believe people are so quick to remind me what I did in 2009. I'm a murderer. I don't deserve a voice. And I got to read all that. So those are consequences that are still echoing in my today all this time later. But I have to remind myself, like, like Jesus did on that cross when he said, it is finished that what I did was dealt with. So I can't let it have too much space in my mind, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And also, also that's so good. I love that. And how, what's pretty cool is how when you're in prison, like you could have just kept growing in your faith just to yourself, just read your Bible and just like grew like just you and God, that's it. But what you did was, yes, you did that. But also you went and started ministering to other like inmates, Like like you were saying, how you just started doing like the Bible studies with them. And basically, you grew a ministry right in prison. And that's just like amazing. But also, I wondered how in an atmosphere like that, especially as a Christian, was your faith ever like challenged or tested at all?
1: No doubt, man. You can imagine in that type of what I'll call a
0: spiritual
1: melting pot. So you have all types of backgrounds all types of faith mixtures. You have people that don't believe in God, atheists. You have people that worship the devil, satanists. You have Muslims, Jews. You have nominal Christians, people that might hold the book, but don't let the book hold them. You have devout Catholics. And I I learned early on, all right, what is the one common denominator that Jesus says will draw all people to himself? So all peoples, plural, plural. The word is ethnos, all types of ethnicities, all type of colors, black, white, brown. It was him. He said, if I'm lifted up. So I wanted to start a Bible study and just lift up the name of Jesus. Now, you can imagine there's a lot of pushback, a lot of criticism. People would sit in the Bible study and, you know, raise their hand and challenge what was taught in a very combative way. So here you are trying to teach the word of God and you got people who are criticizing it and then actually disputing it. And it became a lesson of what you said earlier to me before we started the podcast. Um, apologetics, right? This is yeah. a biblical word that means to defend the faith. So if I didn't have an answer, I would get on the pay phone, call my family and be like, you got to send me literature. They were sending me all types of books and Bibles and commentaries. Hey, Hey Trent, that place became a seminary to me. So I'm like devouring books and I'm reading and I didn't want to argue with anybody. And here's why early on in the Bible study, an argument could happen over something. And I would win the argument because I was a little bit more intellectually astute than the person that was trying to argue. So I'd win the argument, but I lost the soul because mm, usually you'd win the argument with some type of, um, you know, velocity. So I wanted to be the type of Bible teacher in that place that was able to explain my point by not offending them.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it became pretty interesting to see the differences in responses what took time to build on but also I think here's the point let me digress the fact that I was living it out outside of that bible study validated and confirmed that when I was sitting in the bible study seat these guys they were often turned off by people who would say one thing and do a different thing so the testimony became that man that's real with this he was going to treat people the way he wanted to be treated outside of the Bible study. So the Muslim and the atheist, they found themselves coming back to the study because they believed that I believed what I believed. Like mm-hmm. they believed yeah. that I truly believed what I believed. And that became what God used. Obviously you can see my passion. I talk with my hands. Um, that became what God used. Um, as far as me being a billboard for his glory, people would look at me and see him and he was able to draw such hard men to himself and now you heard me talk about little john remember little john yeah he was a 330 yeah. pound mob enforcer literally he worked for a crime family in the mob and he was locked up with me and his entire life was spent in jail and he did not want to know anything about god in fact in his mind christians or anybody of faith was weak and he was quick to tell them about themselves but the way god used my example was drawing this giant of a man. I mean, John's hands are like this big and everybody feared him. And I'll never forget it. Trent, he came up to me one day and basically said, I've been watching you. And I remember just kind of being like, this huge guy is watching me in a place like this. But then he continued to tell me as he was watching me, he was hoping, he used the word hope. He was hoping I would curse, hoping that I would fight, hoping that I would argue, hoping that I would do something to contradict that book that I read every morning so that he can point at it and say, you're just like everybody else, you're a hypocrite. And then he looked at me and said, but you never gave me that opportunity. I was stunned. I was humbled. And then the Lord used that to get John to come to the Bible study. And eventually God's word will not return void. You preach God's word, you teach God's word, you live God's word and people see it. It's hook, line and sinker. And God got a hold of this hard man's heart. And John is now a blood bought believer And a Christian living in North Jersey turned his entire life around. So you got like success stories like that in that place and not so much successful stories. I could talk about, you know, physical threats against my life. Um, You know, found out one day that a guy was going to shank me, literally stab me because of a verbal argument that we had that in my opinion, I didn't think it was a big deal, but in his mind, he was going to teach me a lesson. And it was that day apparently that he was going to do that and i had no clue that i got moved off that housing unit to an upstairs unit because of some other incident that happened and it was like god was saying i am going to make some moves you're not going to understand so i got moved upstairs unjustly and i remember kind of fighting with god and then a guard came up about three days later and go hey you know that guy that you got an argument with downstairs we found a knife in his locker And he told us he was going to stick it in you. And I remember just being like in total shock. But only God can make a move like that. That's why I would say to anybody, you might feel like you got moved backwards. You might feel like there's a door shut on you. And you might be wondering, how's this going to work out? You have no idea that God is always working behind the scenes. Some of these incidences, you will never even know about. But that particular testimony that I'm sharing with you, God will give you these these, you know, glimpses of how he had your back. So God is good, Trent. I can go on all day about some of these testimonies. I don't want to take, I want, I want to make sure we're yeah. having a conversation. I can go yeah. on all day.
0: No, I love it. Love it. And also how I was reading, I was really good was how you thought your calling was soccer, like playing pro soccer. That's what you thought your calling was. But as you're in prison, you recognize that, really your calling started to become ministry end up becoming like a pastor did you ever think that you would come out of there recognizing that you'll be going into ministry
1: no way if you were to add ministry as i thought i understood it at the time you know church and pastoring on a list of career choices that would have been the last one and interestingly just being on fire for the Lord, loving him because he loves us. I mean, and that's the only way we can love him is because he loves us. It was just motivation enough to just want to give people this gift and share it with them because I was unworthy to receive it and God gave it to me. And in hindsight, you look back and go, God was grooming me for ministry. But here's what really allowed the rubber of faith to meet the road was discovering this gift that I had, I always thought the gifts God gave me were athleticism, right? So I'm playing sports, it paid for my college, I'm playing pro soccer. Yeah, of course, that's my gift. But I discovered I had a gift to communicate, to put words together, to preach and teach, to expound upon the scriptures. When I discovered that gift, God gave me the time to develop that gift. Like you said earlier, that Bible study became training ground. I did a Bible study every day With a group of guys that began with three that eventually grew to about 30 on a housing unit where there's 38 guys so picture the majority of the housing unit which is hell on earth is now gathering around the word of god to get in touch with heaven can you imagine amazing a culture completely changing one that was hellish became one that was peaceable and all because of the work of the bible the work of god's word when i discovered the gift and then I had the time to develop the gift and present the word of God, it was only a matter of time before he would deploy the gift. Those are my D's, discover, develop, and deploy. So when I got out, it was only natural that the Lord would open doors for me to explode and share my testimony, and that's, I guess, how we had any interaction, right, Trent? That was the first time you were exposed to my story. I had the opportunity to teach at that leadership camp, and just tell my story and then teach the word of God and give messages. And that's my heart. That's my passion. And I don't, I say this, I don't just do this for a living, right? I'm a pastor. I'm a full-time pastor. I don't just do it for a living. I live to do this. And I think there's a huge difference between the two. I used to play soccer for a living, but I can live without soccer. I can't live without preaching, teaching and sharing the gospel.
0: Yeah, that's good and also like since your ministry what i've been known for a little while of you doing this was your truth over trend and i really loved that and i've really um, looked into it and i really started following it a lot like your videos and now if you could share maybe a little bit more of that more of your truth over trend
1: yeah truth over trend was uh birthed in the process of trying to organize you know, nowadays, where does somebody go to find information about somebody or someone's organization? Yeah. When I was incarcerated, my family put together a website that was supported by my victim's family. In fact, Mr. Hort Capp's family, his daughter was contributing to the website in oh, wow. blog form. So imagine people are reading my story online about this pro soccer player who made an egregious error decision. And now he's in jail and they were able to put the courtroom scene onto the website so people could see these two families, worlds colliding and this young man named Noon forgiving me. Mm
0: -hmm. So I
1: began to write a blog too. So people were coming to my website all around the world and I never saw the website. I would get printouts sent into me and on pay phone calls or prison visits, my parents would tell me about, you know, this message came in and you won't even believe how much traction there is around the website. So I was sort of like doing ministry before I was doing ministry. And the website yeah. was called the Matt story.com And I got to be honest, Trent, I never liked the way that sounded. I never wanted it to be about me, not from day one. I didn't want my name on it, the Matt Mayer story. I wanted it to be about God and I wanted to honor my victim's family. So when I got out and I got to see the website for the first time on a computer, we obviously, we revamped it. And I wanted to change the name. And with help from my... My wife, really, I'm married now. She was constantly telling me about these quick, you know, uh, axioms that I would use when I would preach and teach. And like, she would bring them my attention, like, you know, uh, faith over fear. You always say that or or hope over hype or, you know, grace over guilt. And, you know, truth over trend became the mantra. So I said, you know what? I'm going with truth over trend. It's not necessarily an organized ministry. It's more of a platform, I call it. So if somebody says, how can I get a hold of you? truthovertrend.com. Hey, can I listen to some of your messages, Matt? Yeah, go to truthovertrend.com. There's blogs on there, what I call daily doses. I write these very quick, short, spiritual insights that people can uh, sign up for and get them on their phone personally. So it's just become like this hub of content to be able to influence people. And, um, you know, it shows that I work at a church in Ocean City, New Jersey, says that I'm funded by State Farm and to go speak into public high schools and secular colleges or locker room talks or wherever the door opens to share my story. So a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And with with no intent, you know, no idea behind what we were doing other than putting the word out there. And that just became something over time that got more polished and more organized. So if it looks like I know what I'm doing, I have no idea what I'm doing to this day. I'm just enjoying it while I do it.
0: Yeah, that's good. I love that. And so, um, I got to bring up really an important thing that in your book is how it was my favorite chapter was your inner battles, and you said how what you allow into our minds will eventually find its way out. And I'd love to end. So, what helped you to keep away? Like your inner battles like the inner battles you dealt with like how excuse.
1: yeah Trent I, I completely understand that question there will always be there was yeah. and there will always be those inner struggles I don't care who you are how successful you are all of us are made from the same stuff so we're all going to struggle with something Everybody's something looks a little different, but there's always going to be an internal pull. I mean, God left it that way because the hole in the soul is supposed to be infused and filled by him. We were all created for the creator. In my past life, I tried to fill that hole in my soul with the things of the world. And I always came up short, came up empty, came up dissatisfied. So, yes, even though I gave my life to the Lord and he began to fill me up with his presence, there was still the flesh of me, the sinful man that I am, that would rise back up. The guilt from my past, perhaps struggles in my present, fears. I mean, let's talk about fear for a moment. How many people are paralyzed by fear right now in our world? The only way to deal with all of that, you fill in the blank, is the word of God. And I don't say that lightly. I'm not saying that. Pick up the book and start reading and everything will be good. No, no. But think about if you're filling up with the word of God, the substance or the water of God's word, it eventually begins to flush out all this other stuff. Mm. And it's a process. Isaiah 26.3 says, God, you will keep him, the man or woman, in perfect peace, right? Double peace. It's shalom, shalom. You will keep them in perfect peace when their mind, ready, stays on you. So we know this. If I'm constantly scrolling through social media and I'm constantly, you know, feeding on my news feed, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that is what's going to be inside of me. No doubt. The last thing I looked at last night was a, you know, uh, a TikTok video. Am I surprised when I wake up in the morning, I'm depressed and discouraged and defeated? I am a huge advocate that whatever you put in is eventually going to come out. We know that physically. We say you are what you eat. An athlete puts healthy products in his body and it helps enhance performance. Spiritually speaking, emotionally speaking, goodness, that truth holds true. So, man, I could talk all day about the importance of filling up your heart and mind with the word of God, but, but not just the word of God. You know, there's a Bible verse in Philippians chapter four, verse eight, that says, whatever things are true, just good, pure, lovely of good report, anything virtuous. It says meditate on those things. And here's the interesting thing about the word meditation. The Greek and the Hebrew languages always come with imagery. The word meditation shows up in the old Testament and the new Testament. It means to to ruminate. It means to, and here's the term, chew the cud. And cows or stock animal that would graze and eat grass, they would chew the cud and they have jaws that work sideways. So our jaws work this way. They would chew the cud, but then they would swallow it and they have multiple stomachs. And eventually as the day would progress, you know what they would do? Regurgitate what they swallowed back into their mouth and chew it more and extract every nutrient. That's the word meditation. So if I swallow the word of God and it's in me, I don't know what my day holds. Later on this afternoon, I could get into an argument with my wife and I could very easily respond in the flesh and anger. But if I regurgitate the word of God that I meditate on this morning, <laughs> Yeah. And I start chewing on it. It helps me in the way I respond to the world around me.
0: Yeah, that's good. And also, so I don't want to hold up time too much, but just to finish up to wrap this up is um, I remember how you brought this up when you came to the FCA camp. I was hearing you speak. Is so, how can you help or these people that are watching? Or listening what could you tell them if they're dealing with inner battles or if they're feeling like really in prison mentally or spiritually what could you tell them to encourage them and help them
1: yeah I would say um, first and foremost there is a God a very real God in heaven who loves you who sees you who can empathize the word with you he feels our pain he can relate to where we're at. I mean, he doesn't sit over us in judgment and, and like, you know, laugh at us when we're struggling. No, it, it, the Bible says he, he enters in to our mess. And the first thought that I would wanna drop on people is to know that you are seen, you are heard. You might feel like nobody sees you, nobody hears you. You're neglected, you're forgotten, you're depressed, you're isolated. And I wanna say there's a God that sees you and there's a God that loves you. And he loved you so much that we say he divinely condescended. He came down in human form and his name was Jesus Christ. And when he went to that cross, it was an expression that he was saying, I love you to death, right? We said, I love them to death. Jesus was like, no, 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 I love you to death. And he was willing to die to prove that love. I mean, the most famous Bible verse, Trent, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I would drop the second thought on you and let you know that there's a savior whose hand is reaching out to you. And all you got to do, you don't got to clean up your act. You don't got to fix your broken thoughts. You can't do it on your own. All you got to do is reciprocate and reach out and grab his hand and let him pull you out of the miry clay, we call it, or the mud, or the doubt, or the discouragement, or the depression, and let his love just rapture you, wrap around you. And when you recognize you're loved, right? The Bible says, now this is love. Like, here's God saying, hey, I want you to know what love is, this is love. Not that you love me, but that I love you. You know what type of pressure and stress, and you know the, the stress to perform and do good and be good All of that is completely removed when I recognize God loves me in spite of me. God God loves me for who I am. And then his love begins to change me from the inside out. So instead of that person struggling and whatever that struggle may be, there's a God in heaven who sees you, who loves you. And he didn't stay in heaven. He came into human form on earth. His name's Jesus. And he didn't just stay in that particular position. He went to the cross And gave us his love. And then to top it off, anybody who calls on that name and says, I want that love, I believe that love, I'm a sinner, he deposits his Holy Spirit within us. And then his very presence begins to indwell us, which means it fills us up. And that's, you know, not trying to get all spiritual weird on people, but the Spirit of God lives within us and the Spirit of God begins to shape and fashion us. And at the end of the day, the spirit of God holds me and reminds me in the shaky world, in this unstable world, it is the spirit of God that stabilizes me. And I know it's true because, Trent, I wouldn't have been able to go through 55 months in hell on earth, state prison, and testify to the fact that 55 months felt like 55 days. No exaggeration. There are enough people that I did time with that would say, he's telling the truth. And I'll be able to say, yet not I but the grace of God that was with me. It's real. I, that. I want your listeners to know it's real. And I would hope if they have questions, they can reach out to you or myself. I'd love to be available for anybody that happens upon this podcast to be a resource, a soundboard, or just, hey, a friend.
0: Yeah, that's good. I love that. But yeah, so that's a great finisher. I love that. And just want to say thank you so much for coming on really enjoy it. It's really inspiring what you do. You really represent what Jesus has called us to to go out and preach the gospel everywhere we go. Right. Not just like one place, not just here when you go there, but everywhere. I love that. And you really represented that and did it. I really look up to that and really inspired. So I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. Really enjoyed it. And everybody, I'll be putting the link to Truth Over Trend on the video, and also we'll be putting on a social media link, so you guys can check that out as well. Just to say, thank you so much again. It was a great privilege.
1: Trent, thank you, my friend. Proud of you to see you doing this, making a big difference. The honor has been mine. God bless you guys. Hope to hear from some of you.